Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Podstetrics. Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of Podstetrics. Welcome. And today we've got a really cool episode for you guys. And it's kind of going back to something that we haven't talked about for a couple of, couple of weeks. So we've gone through the first stage, we've gone through the second stage of labor, but today we're going to talk to you in detail about the placenta and the active management of the third stage. Yeah, and I actually think it's been more than a couple of weeks. It might be a couple of months, actually. Oopsies. It was kind of like the first uh, few episodes that we did. Uh, poor planning by us. <laughs> Our apologies. So... First of all, we'll start off with a medical disclaimer. So this podcast does not constitute as medical advice. If you do have any queries or concerns, please see your healthcare provider. So like with all of our content episodes, we're going to start off with a case study. So today we have Emma, and she is a 31-year-old G3P3 who has delivered a healthy baby boy following a delay in the second stage of labor and an instrumental delivery. Following delivery of the placenta, Emma experiences a PPH with approximately 1.2 liters of quantified blood loss. Yeah, so... We'll start off by talking about what exactly the third stage is. So we've been through the first stage and the second stage. And if you can't remember these concepts or if you don't know about them, highly suggest you go back and listen to them because it'll make a lot more sense. But the third stage of labor is the period after the baby is born until the placenta has been delivered. And it usually takes about 10 minutes, but it can take anywhere up to an hour. And if it crosses an hour, then we think about it as being an abnormal third stage of labor. Yeah. And... So during this stage, bleeding is usually completely normal, but obviously, like any other bleeding, it's normal to a certain extent. Yeah. So we do expect a little bit of bleeding, usually less than about 500 mils, but anything above this is known as a postpartum hemorrhage or a PPH. Yeah. And to stop this bleeding, um, we do something called active management. So we're going to be doing certain things to mum and even to baby, or one thing to baby, which we'll talk about, that really aims to prevent this bleeding that can occur after pregnancy and bringing in the active management of the third stage has really helped with stemming um, a lot of the problems with PPH that have resulted in the past. Yeah. So in reality, there are two ways that we can manage the third stage of labor, but active management is, I guess, the one we really only see. Like I've only ever seen active management. Same here, but that's that's probably because we haven't seen any home births um, or any births done by midwives at home or doulas at home as well. Yeah. So our active management involves the injection of syntocin into the thigh uh, intramuscularly given very soon after the delivery of bubs. And if you can remember from previous episodes, syntocin is a synthetic form of the love hormone, oxytocin, which is really imperative in that progression. of Well, it takes an important part in all aspects of labor, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is given usually when we want to speed up or even initiate labor after the use of, say, an artificial rupture of membranes. Yeah. But in this case, the drug is given intramuscularly instead of intravenously, like we usually have seen it within the second and first stage. Mm. And it's used for the same reason of what we would see during the first and second stage, which is to help the uterus contract. Yeah. And the biggest difference here is that we are essentially wanting uterine contractions to continue so we can prevent that, that postpartum hemorrhage, that extra bleeding yeah and really again if we go back to one of our very first episodes that we did and i think this was the physiological changes during pregnancy we went through a little bit about the anatomy of the uterus and one thing to really think about is this the uterus is obviously a really thick muscle but running inside it are a lot of uh, veins and arteries and so there's a lot of blood supply that runs to the uterus yeah which is really important to keep of course yeah yeah but also once the baby's been delivered we want to make sure that we clamp down these arteries to stop 
blood from flowing out because we have so many of these spiral arteries that go into the placenta that supply a lot of blood and we want to stop that blood flow. And so contraction of the uterus is so important because yeah. it stops the uterus from bleeding. Yeah. Um, and we'll go so through... So it essentially like kinks those, yeah. those vessels. And <laughs> Don't make that face. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, and when we go through the four kind of main contributors to postpartum hemorrhage, that will definitely be one of them that we can run through. But that's really what we're thinking about. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And the other things that we do are things like apply fundal pressure and as well as provide things like cord traction. Yeah. And so the second way to manage um, this postpartum hemorrhage is something called physiological management. And this is really done at home birth. So I haven't seen a lot of this in either as Kayla. Yeah. But this is really encouraging detachment and delivery of the placenta, but not using any, any medical intervention. No. So really we rely on things like gravity mm-hmm. and mum pushing with her contractions, kind of like within the second stage, but that's, yeah, all natural. Yes. All natural. <laughs> but again, this is not really recommended. And that's really because of this increased risk of mum, this risk of bleeding. I mean, that's really why it's not encouraged. Yeah. So what happens during the third stage of labor when we're actively managing the third stage of labor? So following the injection of and we clamp the umbilical cord and there are two types of cord clamping. So we're looking at either early cord clamping or delayed cord clamping. And delayed cord clamping is kind of like our go-to now. But early cord clamping is performed 10 to 15 seconds after the delivery of baby. Yeah. Whereas delayed cord clamping, we're looking at, we're looking at, approximately 30 seconds or more up to about five minutes i'm pretty sure after the delivery of baby so like i said that timing is quite variable but generally we look to clamp when the when the cord in itself stops pulsating but the optimal cord clamping time is still something that is quite variable Mm -hmm. so the current literature tells us that delayed cord clamping has many benefits in regards to both term and preterm infant outcomes so do you want to run us through a little bit of those benefits, Evan? Yeah, sure. So the first one is higher hemoglobin levels and iron status. And really, it's a cost-free transfusion here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it aims to reduce the risk of things like anemia. And this makes sense because if baby's getting a little bit more blood, um, it, it's helping with oxygen delivery and perfusion of tissues. The second, and I suppose that links to that, is the new, uh, improved neurodevelopmental outcomes. So we think that you know if baby's uh, got higher oxygen, sta- um, oxygen-carrying capacity, um, then the brain will receive more blood. And then thirdly, again, intrinsically linked is the hemodynamic outcomes. So obviously, if baby is more hemodynamically stable and more neurodevelopmentally stable, then baby will need a reduced hospital stay. Um, and of course, an increased hospital stay is associated with things like hospital-acquired infections and things like that. Yeah. So that's really reducing mortality there. Yeah. The other thing where we may not see delayed cord clamping as commonly is that for preterm infants. So as a result of things like organ immaturity, particularly an immature respiratory system, the respiratory transition usually requires some sort of extra assistance. So baby just needs that little bit of extra help breathing. So to avoid delaying the initiation of things like respiratory support, the practice of delayed cord clamping in infants is not something that widely occurs but there is some really cool research occurring at the moment so keep your eyes and ears open for those outcomes yeah up and coming field whilst delayed core clamping sounds really cool in regards to like positive outcomes for baby there is some conjecture at the moment in regards to what exactly is best for Mm mum so generally we do say that early core clamping is best to reduce the risk of postpartum hemorrhage and the requirement for things like blood transfusion as a result 
But then again, some studies have actually reported no association between delayed core clipping and maternal risk of postpartum hemorrhage, even in the case of C-section. Um, so it's kind of up in the air at the yeah. moment. We don't really have any definitive... Mm-hmm. This is yeah. It's it's a bit it's a bit iffy at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one good thing about early core clamping though is that it does reduce jaundice in in baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it reduces the need for things like phototherapy and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there is a really cool article that was published in two thousand and nineteen that talks about early and delayed umbilical cord clamping and the effects on maternal and neonatal outcomes. And it's a really good review and synthesizes everything that we're talking about and obviously goes into a lot more detail. So we can post that on our social media. Definitely. So moving on now to the actual process of cord clamping. So the cord is clamped with two or three hemostats, um, which are basically clamps. Mm -hmm. And then between them, the birthing partner is invited to cut the cord. And then the actual medical personnel... Uh, be it the midwife or the obstetrician, can then do something called delayed cord traction. Um, And then this is really pulling down um, on the cord. Yeah, so like from... Have you ever cut the cord before? Just a random question. Doesn't that feel like jelly? It's really squishy. It's really weird. It's like a... I don't know how to say it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So basically from what I have experienced, which obviously is very minimal, but from what I have seen or what I have done, is you kind of pull... I'm, again, I'm doing these hand motions, not realizing that it's a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so you kind of you're grabbing hold of the hemostats with one hand, and then with the other hand, you're providing like a downwards pressure on mum's lower abdomen. Mm-hmm. When you're providing this downwards resistance or motion, it's continuous, so continuous cord traction. We've got to make sure that like in between so you know when you're pulling a rope and then you have like a little break and you kind of give way a little bit of resistance mm-hmm. so you want no slack on the cord you want no sl- yeah you yeah. just want that continuous yeah. pull and obviously and, and not a, too hard yeah no but just continuous no. force you don't want to rip force. the cord yeah no um, <laughs> and apologies before i think i said delayed cord traction but no it's continuous cord traction yeah um and really what we're trying to do here by providing this gentle resistance to the cord and applying fundal pressure is encouraging the, the, the yeah encouraging the detachment of the placenta it's a lot of words to say well, i understand why you got a bit tongue i understand why you choked <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's move on now to our postpartum hemorrhage which is the leading cause of maternal mortality and it's it's something that's quite i, I know from what i've seen in birth suites it is something that's done by eye. So like all of our sheets and all of our instruments that's like covering mum, we have a baseline weight for all of them. And then we reweigh them to see how much, an approximation of how much blood is. So it's very in between. And to be safe, majority of the time, if it is leading to 500, we say that it is mm-hmm. a PBH. So why do things like postpartum hemorrhages happen? So during pregnancy, we know that our blood volume increases by approximately 50%. Well, not Evans because he won't get pregnant, but our blood volume volume increases by approximately 50%. And in fact, there's approximately, well, it's estimated that a blood volume of 500 to 800 mils per minute or 10 to 15% of our cardiac output is delivered via the placenta to baby. So basically what we have are uterine blood vessels, as, as Evan was explaining before, that weave between myometrial fibers. And after the delivery of baby, these muscle fibers retract, meaning that the muscle is able to maintain this really short length following each contraction. And this short length kind of compresses and kinks these blood vessels to stop the continual flow of blood. Mm -hmm. 
And really the way that we classify um, PPH is either primary and secondary. So primary being greater than 500 mils of blood loss from the general tract, and this is generally <clears throat> 24 hours after surgery, or greater than one mil following a cesarean section. And we can further break this down into- One liter, <laughs> one, you said one mil. <laughs> one drop, um, better be a good surgeon. Um, yeah, sorry. So yeah, minor being 500 mil to 1,000 mil and then major being one mil. No, I'm joking. Major, <laughs> major being one liter. Then we have secondary PPH and this is abnormal heavy bleeding again from the birth canal. And this is from a day to 12 weeks postnatally. And there's no real defined amount because this is definitely abnormal. Yeah. And when we think about PPH, we think about four main reasons that cause it. And we call these the four T's. So they're tone, trauma, tissue and thrombin. Um, and we'll quickly go through each of them. So starting off with tone, um, tone is the main contributor to PPH and makes up about 70% <clears throat> of cases. And this is usually um, um, mainly because it's the main thing that really goes wrong because a lot of the other ones are a lot rarer. So tone or uterine atony is the most common cause again. And this is really the failure of the uterus to contract. And this can happen because of a numerous amount of, re of reasons. But the major two is firstly the anatomy um, and then secondly the fact that the uterus is tied out and it's hard for it to contract. Yeah. So the main thing about the anatomy is just remembering that um, the bladder sits in front of the uterus. And so if we have a full bladder, it impairs the ability of the uterus to contract, yeah. um, which is one of the things that we'll talk about later. Um, then we have trauma. So trauma can come from many things. It can come from a hematoma. It can come from uterine inversion and uterine rupture, which is that rare complication that can happen um, if you try a VBAC after a classical cesarean section, which we've talked about in our previous episode, but mainly occurs due to lacerations during things like episiotomy or um, instrumental delivery. The third one is tissue. So we're looking at retained tissue or an invasive placenta. So invasive placenta, we're looking at placenta accreta. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then our fourth one is thrombin, so our coagulopathy. Which is really rare, usually less than a percent. Also, just quickly going back to tissue. So the retained tissue is really important, and that's one of the main reasons why we push so hard to have complete delivery of the placenta. Yeah. And often after the placenta is delivered, from what I can remember, um, the midwife that I was with would examine the placenta to make sure it's complete. Yeah, so we do. Yeah, we, we, we try to look for, the spe for specific membranes, and then we examine the placenta for any abnormalities and mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So risk factors to things like a PPH, we're looking at, again, a retained placenta. Also looking at things like a failure to progress during the second stage, placenta accreta, specific lacerations, as we've mentioned. We're looking at instrumental delivery. We're looking at large for gestational age babies, which is just basically babies that are really, really, that are quite big, bigger than normal. Mm -hmm. We're looking at hypertensive disorders, induction of labor, Augmentation using oxytocin, unfortunately, is a risk factor for a postpartum hemorrhage, as well as PPH is associated with maternal obesity yeah, as so well. Let's just go to the risk factors of the, at the, like from the top, and we'll try just quickly summarizing why I guess they cause um, a PPH. So starting off with retained placenta. So if you do have placenta inside um, the womb or the uterus, um, then as it starts to necrose and die, it releases um, certain factors which lead to inflammation and then bleeding. Failure to progress during the second stage is more about atony, so the uterus gets tired, tired, tired. The, the uterus, uterus gets, gets tired, tired. Um, and it <laughs> impairs its ability to contract. Placenta accreta, um, because it actually invades um, the uterus, and so it impairs. Yeah, rather than sitting on the, it, yeah. it starts to invade the yeah. myome, yeah. the, the actual muscle. Yeah. And layer. so when we get contracting, it's not really stopping any bleeding. Lacerations yeah. are quite um, 
you know, self kind of explanatory. Yeah. Instrumental delivery can cause lacerations and trauma. <laughs> um, large gestational lie babies basically, um, or large for gestational age, sorry, um, basically stretch out the uterus and so mm-hmm. impair the ability for it to contract after. Um, and induction of labor and augmentation using oxytocin, again, can often make contractions too strong. And yeah. so, again, that ties out um, the uterus. And interestingly, with maternal obesity, it was found by actually a researcher in Monash that the actual channels in the uterus are disturbed okay. um, when you have maternal obesity. Um, and so, again, there's impairment then of the uterus to contract. That's quite cool. Yeah. So knowing all these risks, how do we minimize them, Evan? <laughs> okay, so the first thing we want to do is we want to treat any antenatal anemia. So mm-hmm. anemia during the period of pregnancy. And then, of course, active management of the third stage is the main thing. And we do this um, via three main things. So the use of oxytocin, um, so that's 10 units given IM, controlled cord, controlled cord traction, mm-hmm. um, and also fundal pressure. We want to make sure that any thrombotic disorders prior to pregnancy have been treated, and these are screened during the antenatal visits. And we really want to make sure that mum's bladder is empty. So if mum can walk going to the bathroom, and if mum does have an epidural, then making sure that an indwell, indwelling catheter is inserted. Women that are really high risk for PPH will get something called transexamic acid, and we usually give that IV, so 0.5 to 1 gram in gram grams in women. I'm really struggling with my weight today. What's wrong with you today? I weigh <laughs> I weigh 100 grams. Inspection, um, and then lastly, inspection of the actual vaginal canal, especially following things like an episiotomy or instrumental delivery. And this is really to make sure that there are no lacerations, and if they are, then we want to stitch stitch them up and control the bleeding. Control them, yes. So how do we manage a PPH? So we're looking at our ABCs, which is our... Airway. Yep. Breathing. Yep. And circulation. Beauty. And we want to keep mum warm. We want to look for blood. So we're looking at an FBE, taking an FBE as well as um, clotting factors. Yeah. And we might also do things like a VBG to look at any distress and things like that. Yep. But they're the, they're the two main things. Yeah. You looked at me as if I knew what that meant. but <laughs> uh, Sorry. So VBG being a venous blood gas. And when we do that, we can look at things like the pH of mum's blood, um, what the oxygen and carbon dioxide levels yeah. are, what the bicarbonate levels are. Yeah. I didn't know the acronym. I know what a um, blood gas is. I'm still going to explain it to you though. Uh, and I, I want all our listeners to know that I'm looking at Kayla really condescendingly as well. <laughs> Stop looking down on me. <laughs> I think you're actually sitting up higher than me. So. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Semantics. So we want to also give oxygen to mum and insert a catheter. So we usually give a high flow of oxygen at 15 litres if a major PPH is occurring. Uh, we want fluid resus with warm crystalloid. Mm-hmm. We want to keep the woman warm, of course, and use warm fluids to reduce coagulopathy. So we want to compa- we want to give compound. Com- I can't. Oh, I'm turning into you. Compound sodium lactate. We want to transfuse blood if it's indicated and consider an arterial line. Yeah, and also let's not forget right at the start, um, get two large bore cannulas in as well. Did I miss that? You told me to put it somewhere else. <laughs> In the initial intervention bit, which is what we're going to be doing initially. Now. <laughs> Shambles. It's late at night, guys. And if you haven't noticed, when we record late at night, we're a bit of a mess. <laughs> our apologies. So do you want to run through our initial intervention? Sure. So what we're going to do, I guess, when the PPH first happens. So uterine massage and bimanual compression, mm-hmm. um, starting off. Uh, two large bore IV cannulas. That's where it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There we go. Um, an extra person to be in the room and they really act as a scribe to write down everything that's going on. And as well, I should say, the bimanual compression is quite 
um, scary to onlookers that have a look at it because the entire hand um, is inserted into the vagina and then is used to com- compress the uterus. Yeah, I've, I've um, never seen but, one of those before. But um, it's really crazy. it's starting it's trying to stop yeah. um, the bleeding. Um, you want to empty the bladder again. So this is allowing the uterus to contract, knowing the anatomy and really letting tone take place. You're going to give Cinemetrin IM unless it's contraindicated and it's really contraindicated in women with hypertension. Otherwise, you can give oxytocin five units IV. Next, you're going to be giving oxytocin 40 units in a 500 ml bag at a rate of 10 units per hour. So again, to make this clear, if you do have a woman that has hypertension, you'll still be giving the oxytocin, you'll still be giving the oxytocin five units, and then you'll also be following it with the oxytocin 40 units. And then if that doesn't work, third line, you can use misoprostol, PV, and this is really a um, drug which helps the uterus to contract. And what does PV stand for? Uh, per vaginal. That's it. So if all of these things then don't work, then you can go into surgical management. Yeah. That, yeah, that that I've seen before. But mm-hmm. anyway, so with surgical management, we're looking at a balloon tamp. I, I can't pronounce this. I'm not even going to. Yeah, you go. Uh, balloon tamponade. Yeah, thank you. And you can keep going. Okay. <laughs> Um, so we're going to do a balloon tamponade with something called a bakri balloon. And this is really um, like a catheter that's inserted into the uterus and then it's blown up like a big balloon and it puts pressure against the walls of the uterus. We can then do things like compression sutures. So an example of this is a Beelin suture. And this is really a suture, again, that causes compression on the uterus and stems the blood. And then we can, in severe cases, think about things like uterine artery devascularization. And for that, we need interventional radiology. So this is really only done at a tertiary hospital. And there are two main arteries that we can try to ligate here, the uterine artery or the internal iliac. Um, And then in very, very dire straits, we can do a hysterectomy, so removing the uterus. And that's very, very last line. I had a a patient once that had really severe placenta accreta. And she was just straight in for a general. um, And they were trying not to. They had said pre-surgery that you know what it might end up having to go to a hysterectomy and she had such a big pph that they just had to and Mm. they did it was really sad it was quite sad very sad and these things can be quite serious i remember once um i had a patient when i was on the wards who had a really bad pph and she ended up needing 10 units of blood like five units of fresh frozen plasma like it was very serious and then she was in the icu for a week so it can be yeah very very serious yeah what one of the first um ladies that I had to that I delivered solo babies that I delivered solo ended up having a really massive PPH with um, retained tissue as well mm. so, which is why we have yeah. active management of the third stage really trying to prevent all of that from happening yeah. because before we had that um, it was a major cause of death for women yeah something weird though she had a history of that the, her previous birth yeah I, it would be happened, interesting to go back and have a look though and see if she I had wonder. a family history of like um, thrombin disorders or anything like that yeah i'm not too sure i know her previous pregnancy she had anyway we're getting a little bit off topic yeah. here sorry guys so that's the end of our episode for today so as always we'll end with, we'll end with the end of the case <laughs> so following the postpartum hemorrhage the obstetrician runs through systematic management with emma requiring cinnametrin intramuscularly and oxytocin 40 units in a 500 ml bag Following this, the source of bleeding is identified as a combination of uterine atony and a vaginal bleed due to instrumental delivery. Emma is given fluids and following stitching is stable. After a short hospital stay, she is discharged and is excited to spend some time with her new son. So that's the end. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And as always, you can find us at Podstetrics or on Linktree. 
Um, we're also on all social media at Podstetrics and also on Spotify, Apple and Castbox. Yep. And we really do ask that on Apple, especially that you can try to rate and review us because it really helps the algorithm and helps people to find us. Yep, beautiful. So like always, I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. Stay safe, guys. And take care of yourselves. Bye. Thank you.